Welcome, welcome, welcome to today's conversation. Very excited to have with me today, DeFi Dad. Now, DeFi Dad, in case you don't know, he is so deep into DeFi, it's insane. He's always finding new alpha for us over at the Wealth Mastery newsletter. Of course, if you're not signed up to the Wealth Mastery newsletter, go to thewealthmastery.io, thewealthmastery.io, and get signed up for a value-packed newsletter coming to your inbox three times per week. DeFi Dad has been writing DeFi reports for us on the weekly, seems forever now, and the value has been insane. DeFi Dad lives and breathes DeFi so much, it's literally the name of his Twitter account, so go and follow him at DeFi underscore Dad, and also make sure to check out the Edge podcast at Edge underscore pod on Twitter. DeFi Dad, welcome to the conversation. Thanks so much for the introduction. Yeah, you're you're always super kind to me with that. I, I appreciate it, and uh, yeah, very uh, uh, very happy to get to join you here and and uh, talk some DeFi with everyone. Now this is this is an alpha alert for everyone out there listening because we have been finding some of the craziest DeFi opportunities, and it always surprises me how little action most people are willing to take. For example, recently we did a tutorial on how to use the Maverick protocol. So this is a decentralized exchange. We did a, uh, a tutorial on how to do that in the Wealth Mastery newsletter. And that went on to have an airdrop. And some people were getting like six or even $8,000 airdropped to them for having provided liquidity and used the platform. So DeFi has been absolutely crazy. And of course, we've covered many opportunities over the years of other DeFi protocols that have done airdrops. And that's just like the, the cherry on top. You know, the icing on the cake, if you will, because you're already making great yields on these DeFi protocols and, and all this great stuff. So we're going to be diving into a lot of alpha today here in this conversation. We're going to be diving into some of the, the hottest issues that are going on right now in the crypto DeFi space. But let's just start off with a, a general question here for you. What's your kind of thoughts on the current state of decentralized finance? So we've had a lot of ups and downs in the DeFi space. What are you thinking about it right now? I think one of the points you just made, Lark, uh, that, that we've been really excited about is uh, uh, the fact that layer twos are, are working, the fact that they're, uh, you know, they're up and running, they're still in the early stages of their launch. So um, I, I want to be clear that most of the L2s, if not, I'd say all of the L2s are, are uh, you know, not not as decentralized or censorship resistant as like an L1, like Ethereum. So that's going to take time for, for those to like fully mature and to allow us to have the kind of assurances that we have on something like, like an L1. Uh, but that said, um, the, the upside of this is L2s are exciting because we're able to transact at you know, cheap transaction fees or cheap gas prices. And it sort of just opens up all of the possibilities, I think, that have been talked about for years. You know, like if you go back to, you know, if we were to compare summer 2020, you know, that was a time where people were really excited about DeFi because it was it was new and it was uh, being discovered by lots of new users and there was all this capital flowing into the system. But if you recall, by fall 2020, just like six months after this, things had become so expensive on Ethereum mainnet that we were really facing this sort of like 
uh, bottleneck, almost like an existential crisis where people are excited to learn about DeFi. They're looking at it as an opportunity, as like an alternative finance system, but then they're learning that it's costing, you know, at the time it, it could cost on a terrible day where it was 500 guay, that, that being kind of like a measurement of how busy the network was. I remember like people seeing transactions that were costing hundreds of US dollars. So that just priced out all of the people, a lot of people who were really excited to try this, who don't have hundreds of dollars to spend on transactions. And so anyways, you fast forward to today and now we have DeFi on, you know, L2s like Arbitrum and Optimism and uh, Polygon has a ZK EVM now live and there's ZK Sync Era and uh, Mantle mainnet just launched today. So, you know, a lot of progress has happened and that just means that now transactions that you would have done on Ethereum mainnet uh, that were computationally uh, intensive, meaning just that you were going to have to pay really high gas fees to do really powerful things like uh, lending, borrowing, using uh, flash loan recipes that would allow you to loop a position, like maybe you borrow die against die on Radiant Capital uh, on Arbitrum. Doing that same transaction, <laughs> like looping a position 4x on Radiant, if you did that on Ethereum mainnet, uh, you're gonna you're gonna pay probably a hundreds, if not a hundred US dollars in fees. So anyways, uh, the, the, the biggest sort of update for DeFi is that L2s are beginning to work. A lot of capital is moving to L2s. There's still a tremendous amount of money. There's more money on like an L1, like Ethereum mainnet, because there's still the assurance of being able to, to control that money. The fact that there's a greater security, a censorship resistance, and the fact that like at this point, you know, Ethereum is a is truly truly a trusted, trustless settlement layer that we can all transact on. Um, and the L2s will have to catch up there. Um, I'd say probably the the second sort of like biggest update though has been that move to proof of stake. Um, you know, Ethereum upgrading from proof of work to proof of stake. That upgrade itself, that architecture upgrade was really important for a number of reasons. But for us as just your average DeFi user, it definitely begins to unlock uh, uh, like a more risk-free or uh, a lesser risk sort of uh, yield rate that is uh, being able to earn with ETH through proof of stake. And so that's that's the underlying mechanism behind all of the ETH liquid staking that gets talked about. Liquid staking tokens or LSTs, these are ways for us to passively hold a token that is being used in this proof of stake, which helps to, you know, basically that's the, cons the consensus mechanism for Ethereum. And so at the, at the end of the day, the TLDR of all these buzzwords is that when I'm holding an LST for ETH, like ETHX by Stator or RETH by RocketPool or Steph by Lido, I'm, I'm passively earning around 3.5 to 5.7%, depending on which one of those um, I mentioned that you're using. And so that's, that's huge. You know, for folks that are already ETH holders, 
Um, and by the way, well, everything I just mentioned too could be applied to other L1s. So like there are LSTs for like a BNB on Binance Smart Chain or um, there's LSTs for AVAX and there'll be an LST for basically every native token of any sort of thriving L1 that uses proof of stake as its consensus mechanism. So probably the future here in the next year or so is that we're going to see we're going to see these LSTs, specifically ETH LSTs. They're going to continue to grow in terms of the amount of ETH that uh, is deposited in, into the, these protocols. So in the case of Lido, I think there's like $15 billion of, of ETH that has been staked through Lido. Those ETH LSTs, those tokens are probably going to become the default base token that are used in lots of DeFi uh, applications. So today, and, and even you know the, the last like few years here, if you were going to borrow on Aave or Maker or any of the, the major sort of CDP or money markets in DeFi, people were borrowing against ETH um, or they were maybe borrowing against something like a wrapped Bitcoin. But what's probably going to become the norm is why would, why would you borrow against something like ETH when you can borrow against staked ETH, like an, an ETH LST? If you do that, now you're, you're earning passively this, for the, for the one example I gave earlier, ETH X by Stater, um, they've, they've got a, a boosted yield right now through August 10th because they just launched here, but Let's say I'm earning 5.7% APY holding that. That's, again, that's like a, you know, a bonus to me using that ETHX. Uh, and this is, this is me uh, also, by the way, just kind of glazing over the fact that not all ETH LSTs are built the same and they all carry different risks. And clearly some of them have less risk. I would say our ETH by Rocket Pool is the least amount of risk in terms of all of the different LSTs today for a number of reasons. Um, so anyways, uh, I, would, I would keep your eye out for uh, LSTs. And then what's adjacent to that is this LST5, which is just DeFi that is basically built and optimized around using LSTs. Um, and then I, I'll kind of cap this off with just saying that like if if we're talking about the state of of DeFi coming out of this bear market, it's very similar to the last crypto bear market. So if you weren't around in 2018, 2019, these were years where lots of incredible protocols were being built. But what happens is everyone sort of shuts their brain off and gets upset looking at prices uh, and and, you know, picks up the narrative that crypto is dead. And, and what normally happens is the builders thrive during that time. There's less noise. There's a return to, I want to say sound thinking and a return to building things that are going to fundamentally advance our ability to actually take DeFi and crypto applications mainstream. And so the same thing has happened. I mean, this space is, is thriving. I think like depending on how you measure total value locked across all the major uh, L2s and L1s in DeFi, I think there's like roughly about 60 billion. 
I mean, that's just like mind blowing if you if you consider that there was maybe five hundred million dollars in total, five hundred million measured across all the different types of crypto assets, uh, back in summer twenty nineteen. So over the course of four years or so, you know, coming off of the pretty brutal crypto bear market, we're sitting at sixty billion. I think it's very likely that this space is going to go through another exponential growth cycle, you know, during what is normally considered like a crypto bull market. And at that point, you're probably looking at a DeFi, uh, you're probably looking at, at a DeFi landscape that has over a trillion in crypto assets. And, and so that's, that's going to be something that's going to be very difficult for more people to ignore. It'll attract lots of attention. It'll, it'll bring more folks into the system, more capital, some of those folks will stick around. Some of them will leave in the next bear market. But these, these cycles, although they're not always exactly the same, th- there's, there's parts of it that just continue to repeat each cycle. And I'm, I'm, I'm very confident DeFi will remain one of the you know, killer product market fits. It, today, I think it is like the killer product market fit for crypto. Um, it's one of the more battle-tested ones. Uh, depending on, again, like what kind of a user you are and what part of the world you live in and what, what are your, your, your banking needs and, and so on. It's one of the things that I use the most, DeFi, personally, when I look at my on-chain activity, it's a lot of it is decentralized finance. And I think that gaming is going to be absolutely massive and there's a lot of other interesting use cases, NFTs and collectibles and all this kind of stuff. But making money... It's a pretty popular thing for people. And I think that we will see decentralized finance continuing to be massive, especially as we see more real-world assets getting involved in the DeFi space when we see more treasury bonds coming on to the DeFi space. When we see more property and tokenized watches and cars and all this stuff, it brings more and more money into the, the pot, essentially. So... DeFi is going to be beyond big. And I think we are on the road to trillion dollar DeFi right now. But look, you opened up a lot of cans of worms uh, here. And I want to get back and, and, and yeah. dip, our, our, dip our hook into some of these cans here before we get too far uh, off track. Now, one thing I want to go back to and, and really dive into here with you is the layer two scene. Now, while you were chatting there, I hopped over on Uniswap real quick just to compare the fees. And right now on Uniswap on Ethereum, if you want to make a quick swap, it would cost around $15. If you did the same on Arbitrum, it would cost $0.24 cents currently. So this is the value proposition that we're talking about. And I, I remember the days of doing $50 or $100 or $150. I probably paid, probably the most I ever paid for a swap on Uniswap was $150. I'd probably say that's probably accurate, maybe even slightly more. But sometimes you just got to do it. You just got to do it. And that was where the, all the liquidity was for the most part, for a lot of these tokens. Everything was getting launched on Uniswap to start with. And that's where you wanted to get in. If you wanted to get in early, and sometimes you just had to pay the money. And it wasn't great, but it was what we had when we had it. But now we have so many more options. Now we have so many more of these layer twos that are actually bringing out native protocols, native tokens, or we're seeing native launches on these different chains. So it's very exciting to see the layer two scene finally starting to take off. And I've been using Arbitrum a lot, personally. Ethereum, I use when I have to. 
and that ends up being quite a bit still. And hey, I'm glad I can afford to pay the fees on Ethereum. It's almost a flex these days. I can afford to use Ethereum layer one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? I, I, I do think someday, <laughs> I think someday that there will be, uh, there will be new users who, who, you know, sort of recognize like, oh, wow, you've been around a long time. You, you used to use Ethereum like the mainnet, you know, versus what they're using as L2s. In fact, I, I hope in the future that we get to a point where users like that, that network is abstracted away. They're kind of blind mm. to, to what's going on there. And that, that like, I, I mean, Lark, this is something you've lived through o- over the years. These like incremental improvements that, that we as folks who have, if you've been around for, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years, there's so much change that's happened. And, and when those minor changes come up, you know, we as like long-term crypto investors, enthusiasts, whatever, like we're excited, but you, you just tend to forget how far you've come. And that's, that's the thing, like Uniswap today announced uh, Uniswap X, which... <clears throat> Uniswap, as Lark just mentioned, like if you go on there, th- there's just a, a stark difference between Uniswap on Arbitrum and Ethereum mainnet. But I mean, do you remember like th- this was only back in like fall 2020. Uniswap was only on Ethereum and like we were all not sure if they were ever going to move there. The idea of even moving beyond Ethereum mainnet at the time was was somewhat taboo and and I, I kind of give credit to folks like the Polygon team sort of burst onto the scene. They had been building for years, but there was this demand for folks to go transact on an EVM compatible chain. Actually BSC2 was killing it at the time in terms of growing really rapidly and serving this demand that wasn't being met on Ethereum uh, mainnet. And so anyways, this Uniswap X thing comes out today and that means now that if you if if you were going to trade on Ethereum or or any chain uh, with Uniswap, the issue is that you're you're in most cases you're paying your fees in ETH. Um, let's just again let's assume you're on Arbitrum or Optimism or um, or Ethereum mainnet. Well, one of the lessons that you learn over time is that paying those gas fees in ETH is incredibly painful if you are long ETH, or if you believe that the price of ETH will appreciate over time. Really, what many of us would prefer to do is to pay that in like a US dollar denominated coin or or uh, better yet, just pay it in the underlying coin that you're trading. If I'm going to swap Apple tokens for orange tokens, then I'd love to just pay the fees in Apple tokens because I'm already selling them. So why would I want to use let's just, again, use ETH as it. Let's pretend I see ETH as a store of value token. Why would I want to be be wasting that? Uniswap now has gasless transactions. You know, they're, they're going to be offering this. It's not for every single swap, but I'm betting that it will grow to a point that you'll be able to basically sell any token through Uniswap and you will not have to pay in ETH anymore. And, and that, that is, again, it makes a lot of sense because even though ETH is used to transact and pay for lots of different um, crypto assets, it makes sense that if you're long that token that you shouldn't be spending it. It's kind of like, like Bitcoin, like people lament, you know, using Bitcoin to buy anything 
you know, over the last 10 years versus having just sat on it as a store of value. Um, and so that, that minor change, that ability for us to pay in the token that we're actually trading in and avoid using ETH, that's a huge upgrade. That's something that you had to know about CowSwap and you had to know about one inch released a product like this. And, and it's been a game of how do you keep up with the Joneses and DeFi? How do you keep up with all this information? Which obviously this is part of the reason I, I love uh, getting to write this, this post with you every week is talking about just all of the new DeFi innovations that are coming up. The goal is to try to help people with the fire hose of information so that they can keep up with that. Uh, and so anyways, uh, the, the TLDR and all of this is just that these uh, small incremental improvements over the lifetime of DeFi are, are transformational. And we will get to a point in the coming years where, again, you won't have to know how to bridge to a different chain or to an L2. You won't have to know which uh, gas token to pay in. Actually, Instadap has already figured that out. They have this avocado wallet where you pay all fees in USDC. So they're abstracting the network away. They're abstracting gas um, away, that, that challenge, and, and allowing you just to pay in USDC. So these are all major updates. I'm just like firing things off that came up in the last six to 12 months. It's, it's unimaginable if someone sticks around for just a few years, like how much easier DeFi is going to get, how much more, um, how much more uh, uh, equivalent that user experience will be, except for the fact that with DeFi, obviously, if we're successful in, in designing and building what what I think DeFi is supposed to be, um, it, it does end up being this alternative where you have more freedom to do what you want, you know, where you're not bound by all of the sorts of um, restrictions that exist in traditional finance, you know, whether, whether or not like, you know, you have to go and fill out a bunch of paperwork to start using some uh, really high net, net wealth or net worth types of services those types of services, I, I think, are being reimagined and automated without middlemen in DeFi. And that, that's why I love DeFi, because it, to me, it's, it's creating access to uh, services that would otherwise not be available to everyone. And it's, it's just taken time, again, for us to continue to develop a UX that is accessible to everyone with cheap gas fees and... and um, yeah, uh, an experience that, that anybody can pick up in a few minutes and, and start to actually use. What's really interesting for me with the, um, the Layer 2 scene right now is actually how many Layer 2s we have coming on, on board. And, and it's just expanding out the use case potential for the entire cryptocurrency space. And I completely agree with your comments on abstraction. The way that we go mainstream is by abstracting away a lot of the hard parts, right? All these little details that you have to figure out when you're trying to use a crypto blockchain, it's a big learning curve for people. If they can just get in an app and click, 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 and then they're making money or they're in DeFi or they've sent a stablecoin transaction, that's the stage we need to get to. And that's the stage we will get to. And we're definitely moving that way with account abstraction um, coming to more and more chains. I know Ethereum's working on account abstraction. Uh, Arbitrum's working on account abstraction. Some networks think like Solana already has account abstraction to some level. 
But the Layer 2 scene has been very exciting recently. I use Arbitrum all the time. I don't use Optimism so much these days, but I'm really looking forward to a big round of new launches coming through. We have Mantle, which is launching right now. We have uh, Coinbase's Base, which I think is launching in two weeks. We have Consensus's Linea, which is launching sometime maybe this week or next week. So we have three major, major, super well-funded. We're talking between the three of them, billions of dollars backing these three new Layer 2 networks coming into the market. I mean, this is big stuff, right? These are huge, huge launches that we see taking place right now. So my question for you is, how are you looking to make money off the new launches of Linea, Mantle, and Base? How are you positioning yourself? What are you looking for? What are the um, DeFi farms that you're looking for? What are the tokens that you might be interested in that would catch your eye launching on these new networks? Yeah, good, good questions and, and definitely hard ones. So, uh, okay. So b before I, I kind of walk through a few things that I'm looking for, just uh, I want to give everyone a heads up that I think in this next bull cycle, I think you need to be uh, very aware that L2 tokens are probably going to be like the new L1 token trade. And I think they're going to become very overvalued. They're going to overshoot their fair market value by a lot. And you should just be prepared. Like it's, I think they're going to be those tokens where you say, I cannot believe I missed buying it at X and now it went up to Y. And uh, so just, just be aware of that. Like, obviously it's, it's a part of crypto that everyone enjoys. The volatility is fun, you know, when things are going up and to the right, but you gotta be really mindful of the fact that, uh, uh, you know, someone has to buy the top on this. And and so, like, I think some of these L2 tokens, actually, to, to be fair to, I want to give credit to Austin Barak at CoinFund. He did a podcast with me uh, recently for the Edge podcast. And, you know, he he laid out some pretty simple thinking that, like, in previous cycles, uh, competing alternative L1s had captured maybe up to about 25%, like the, the absolute top L1s had at one point been 25% of the fully diluted valuation of Ethereum. And so, you know, he, he was, you know, trying to kind of walk this back in terms of like, come up with a little more of a conservative, conservative estimate of where we might end up. And so, you know, we, we were talking about the fact that you could see L2 tokens, we're talking the, the top premier tokens, you know, let's consider like top three, however you measure that, but top three most successful brand names among those, those L2 tokens, that those could end up being worth 100, 200 billion if Ethereum ends up being worth a trillion, which I think this next cycle, I think very it's very realistic, like Bitcoin's going to cross a trillion, one trillion again in terms of its market cap. Uh, Ethereum will for the very first time. And so, yeah, anyways, the, these L2s are, are going to be hot because th there's something about these platform tokens that's easy for new and old investors to grapple with. Um, not all of these tokens, too, have a value accrual mechanism. So that's one thing that I personally like look for is, you know, and, and obviously like ETH, with the way the token uh, works now, it's kind of become this benchmark because of the fact that that token actually reduces its supply 
the more that people use the network. The, the more usage on Ethereum, uh, the more base fees that get burned, which all, all you need to know in this, if you dig further into like an EIP-1559, it, it, it means that if more and more of us use it, more fees get paid and those fees actually get burned, which is reducing the supply of Ether. And, you know, it's a, a generally accepted you know, rule in, uh, in economics that if, if you reduce the supply and demand is consistent or it increases, you tend to see prices go up. So, so that, that's, that's something I'm looking for L2 tokens with a value accrual. I'm looking for uh, I'm looking for L2s with teams that have been at this for a long time. As like simple as that sounds, there's going to be lots of new teams that see the opportunity to launch an L2. So th this is the this the scary thing about the term L2 is the definition itself uh, can be somewhat confusing. There seem to be some general consensus about what an L2 is. I feel like it's been muddled over the years. And, you know, long story short is that there's just going to be lots and lots of teams that market and brand themselves. And, and I'm not saying to like, it doesn't have to be someone who's an absolutely right scammer. Right. Yeah. It's, it doesn't have to be someone who's like, who's, you know, this isn't like a 2017 ICO sort of scammer I'm talking about. I'm talking about a team that is ambitious, that thinks they're doing the right thing, but like they're technically not competent. They're not able to build a community. They're not able to, uh, they're not able to just coordinate the, the endeavor that is required to launch an L2. The teams at Optimism, Arbitrum, ZK Sync, um, I think Mantle being very new to this, but um, having a team of, of like OG DeFi builders. Th this, these, are, these are teams that are in a, in a, a great place to, to really grow this coming market. Also, too, I, I'm leaving out the most obvious Polygon, of course. Po Polygon, which has like now with the ZK EVM and they've got They've got even more ambitious plans. They're talking about this Polygon 2.0 uh, roadmap. So anyways, it, it takes a lot of time and effort to get good at something, right? Whether you play golf or you're building an L2, like it's very difficult to be good at something. And for some reason, we live in a world where working really hard at something for a very long time has been devalued. Being a jack of what is it uh I, I can't remember the phrase it's like you're basically saying that like you work on a lot of things but you never become really good at any single one of them i, I really do believe in this space things will play out um by the next bear cycle you're gonna see tons of l2s that have died off so for me it's about track record it's part of the reason i i spend a lot of time with the ZK Sync team, Optimism, Arbitrum. Oh, and um, Starkware too. It's another team I'm just totally forgetting. Apologies if anyone ever listens to this and, and it's like, I cannot believe they did not mention Starkware. Uh, <laughs> can, I, can I just hop but, in here yeah. and say one thing? That, please. One, oh, interesting yeah, please thing, one interesting thing to say here as well with the L2 scene, and I completely agree on what you're saying here, is that we're going to see some of them absolutely explode and some of them just fail to get traction because we have lots of blockchains out there that are technically pretty amazing. However, for one reason or another, nobody cares. 
They've never got users on board. They do have users, but they don't have that many users. So they didn't get, the, they got some developers from other Batman developers. And it, it's going to be the case without a doubt where we see, look, we have, uh, let's say seven to 10 massive, very well-funded, very skilled teams launching layer twos. They've either already done it or they're in the process of doing it. We'll do it very soon. And that is something very interesting to take account of because not all those teams are necessarily going to succeed. It doesn't matter how great of developers they are. They may be terrible at marketing themselves and fail to get users on board. Because as we know in crypto, hype and narrative drive so much of what we see in this marketplace. So in terms of looking at these layer twos as investments, and I, I really like this idea that the L2 trade is the new L1 trade. And I really think we're going to see a lot of that uh, playing out because Ethereum remains such a massive part of the entire cryptocurrency space. And this is just building on top of that. So it's very, very interesting to see how this layer two scene is going to play out. What are going to be the winners and losers by the time we get to our next uh, bear market cycle? But hey, before that happens, guys, just remember to uh, take some profits uh, if you are playing this L2 trade during the next bull cycle. Now, I want to move on to our next topic here, which is um, liquid staking finance. Now, we've talked a bit about this already, but I really want to dive in here because we have some really interesting protocols that are launching. We already have things like Libra Finance. And they have a um, staked Ethereum-backed stablecoin. Uh, we have new ones coming up. Uh, for example, Prisma, which I believe we are both investors in that one. should mention that, by the way. Uh, we have others, you know, Gravita and Maverick that are out there. And we're seeing a lot of interesting things going on. So first question is, what is catching your eye in terms of the liquid staking finance space? What are you looking for when you're looking at uh, making different token investments? What are some of your parameters and ideas that are really catching your attention? And the second question is, what are your thoughts on creating a whole new giant leverage problem here that's going to have to unwind at some point? So go ahead. Yeah, re really good questions. Uh, uh, just by the way, one last thing on the L2 side. Uh, I left out the most obvious point. Just, you know, consider the fact that any L2 that has not launched a token, I think it's very likely they're, they're going to launch a token. Uh, it, it seems very unlikely and improbable that they wouldn't, especially if they have, you know, a laundry list of, of you know, all the same name investors that you see uh, in some of the biggest sorts of investment rounds. So it's something to consider. And, and I think the easiest way to get involved and like, there's like, you know, you're killing two birds with one stone. You learn, at least I learn by doing. So just bridging whatever amount of money you're comfortable with to a, to an L2 is a great way to start to explore playing with that L2. And it's very likely, again, I think that those L2s that don't have a token out, you'll probably see some sort of retroactive reward there in the future. Um, okay. So, but then get those airdrops guys, get those airdrops. Come on, Arbitrum. I got five grand from Arbitrum just from being curious, just from playing, yeah, just from checking I, stuff out. So I know. Mind, I, I guys. think, um, don't you think, Lark, like in, I think what was what was really pitiful about the end of the last bull market, the start of the bear market was that there was truly like an ungratefulness across like the community for these airdrops that people had become so accustomed to earning. But I think that these L2s, I think there's still just, you know, outsized rewards for fairly minimal risk. Um, and, and that, again, I'm, I'm, 
I'm making the assumption that like folks who play with very small, you know, relatively smaller amounts of money uh, on a, on a new L2, that they're not going to be um, rewarded that much less than someone who's playing with unimaginable amounts of money, um, especially if you're using like a sing let's say like a single wallet address. Um, when it comes to the uh, the LST side, so the LST it was LST Fi, right, Lark? Is that what you want to talk through? Like the likes of that's the, right. Let's talk about the liquid staking finance and some of, exactly some of the new protocols we see launching there. And uh, also, well, let's start there, and we'll talk about the new leverage problem later. Let's let's get your thoughts on what are the tokens that you're looking for? What are the the sort of ideas that are catching your attention as potential investments in the space? You don't have to name names if you, if you want to. We can certainly talk about the different use cases that we're seeing pop up and sort of what you're looking for as an investor looking at the liquid staking finance space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this is this is a space that yeah, I've I've clearly actually been talking with you quite a bit about because I've it's it's just a space that makes a lot of sense to me. So it part of this goes back to what I mentioned earlier that if you assume that the base token of DeFi and this is currently on Ethereum would be ETH, it's very likely that that base token as people become more and more accustomed to holding an, a, a form of staked ETH, an ETH liquid staking token or LST, it's very likely that that will become the base token. And so you start to think about what are all the different parts of DeFi that are already thriving, like lending and borrowing, trading, uh, and I guess staking. What, what are all the parts of DeFi that will be optimized then for holding and using LSTs? 